0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Dice and This is episode 7 and today we're going to be talking about Concordia and the expansion Concordia Salsa as well as
1: Orleans or Orleans and also some of the games that we talked about being excited about last time Mysterium
0: and Elder Sign. I'm Diana and I'm Matthew.
1: I have Mikey right here on my lap, and Buddy's over sitting on the couch, and so we're ready to go.
0: So shall we talk about Mysterium first? What did you think of Mysterium? We already talked about the basics of how Mysterium works in a previous podcast, the last episode, so we probably won't go into that much depth here, but what did you think of playing the game?
1: It was a lot of fun. It's a for anybody who didn't listen to the last podcast just very briefly. It's a cooperative game in which one player plays the ghost who knows who done it and the other players are playing psychic investigators who are trying to find out from the ghost who done it and where it's kind of like Clue like that and with what. And the the medium for this is cards that the ghost shows them. Which are trying to hint in some way at who done it and where and with what I played the ghost, we tried to set up like candles and stuff, but you need pretty bright light to see the cards well, so we ended up we had the candle burning, but we also had all the lights on. It was a lot of fun. The ghost is not allowed to talk to the players. The players can talk to each other, so it was kind of fun to sit back and hear everybody discussing and then everybody you go around and just say yes or no or you can even set up knock once for yes, knock twice for no and make it more sort of seancey if you want to. And uh, yeah, it was it was fun. It got everybody talking to each other who was allowed to talk to each other and get to feel all mysterious and like you know all the answers and hold all the cards when you're the ghost. But you're you're not in opposition to them. You're you're trying to help them figure it out. So yeah, it was was a a nice experience, and I would definitely like to do it again sometime.
0: So the piece of the puzzle that we've explained part of the game, but not all of the game, the piece of the puzzle is that how the ghost is communicating with these psychic investigators is through the cards, as Diana said, and these cards are large format cards with beautiful illustrated or painted artwork on them. Each card is basically like a dreamscape. It's some surrealist pictures of objects or places or people in this illustration but none of them directly relate to any of the locations weapons or uh or persons that you're trying to discern so the ghost is trying to indirectly communicate to you by picking a card that they think will make you think of the person that they're trying to lead you to
1: out of the allotted hand size, which uh, is is not necessarily very large, so it's not like the ghost has hundreds of cards to choose from to give you just the perfect one. There's a lot of, okay, yeah, that one definitely works for that one, and that one definitely works for that one. What am I going to do about this one? You know, I guess this one, maybe? And And so the investigators might get handed a card where you said, oh, yes, this is perfect. Or they might get handed one where you're like, well, I don't have any redraws left, so that's what they're getting. (laughs) It's better than that one.
0: You'll be in situations where you're like, this card has kind of an industrial theme. There are a lot of parts floating around. And then this card, of of the suspects arrayed in front of me, this card is somebody who looks like they might be a watchmaker because around their portrait there are some pictures of watch gears So, maybe the the industrial look of the dream is supposed to match up with the gears in the guy's portrait. Or there's a ladder in this picture of a rooftop pool. Maybe they're trying to tell me that the room that this took place in is on the second floor, so I'm going to pick that one. That sort of thing. So, you have a limited pool of suspects each time you play, and depending on the difficulty level you choose if you play on easy as we did for our first game, there's one more of each card than there are players. So there's one more suspect than the number of players, there's one more weapon, and so on. So as people find their correct items, because each person during the main portion of the game has their own set of weapon location and suspect that they have to discern through the help of the ghost, those cards come out of the running. So if you're having trouble it gets easier for you because as people find their correct answers, your number of wrong answers goes down.
1: It was a lot of fun to play. What game were you going to talk about?
0: I was going to talk about Elder Sign, which is a cooperative dice game that is a distillation of Arkham Horror, which is a game we also own. The theme of Elder Sign is that you are all investigators from various walks of life. I was a door-to-door salesman, for example, and uh, one of the other people in our party was a psychologist, which is very helpful given that people were on the verge of going insane all the time. You come to a museum where you know that a evil elder god from the uh, Lovecraftian mythos is going to try and break through into our world, and you're carrying out various tasks and having various encounters and fighting various monsters around the museum to try and collect these elder signs which are kind of protective sigils before the old one wakes up. There's a lot in common with Arkham Horror in that ultimately it all comes down to rolling the dice well. I know I just said this is a dice game and that makes sense but it feels like Arkham Horror feels like a bit of a dated game in terms of the mechanisms. Elder Sign also feels like a dated dice game. I really wanna like it and I am enjoying it to some extent, but there are so many moments where you need to roll a specific combination and it just doesn't happen and you may have spent a bunch of resources to get to that point and you're just you're screwed and it's just luck. I have a lot of dice games and a lot of the others there's some way you can manipulate the dice or mitigate the dice That helps you get to the results that you need. So you're working with random resources, but at the same time, you feel more of a sense of agency over it. Most of the power ups in um, Elder Sign are single use. You have to use them, most of them, before you begin a task. And what they're doing most of the time is giving you a couple of extra dice. In other words, they're increasing your chances, but your chances are still very random. So you can go up to a task that's relatively easy, equip both of the extra dice, and fail just on bad luck, so that now you have to face the same pool of tasks on your next turn, depending on whether or not anybody else has completed one of them, but anyway, with less resources. So you have an even lower chance of doing what you just tried to do, because you've burned your items. This game is fun when you're doing well or de- doing decently. And then there are so many times where you just sit there and you really need a roll and it just clonks out on you. And it just feels like you didn't, there's nothing you could have done. And like I said, I play a lot of games with dice, with an element of randomness. But more modern games, it's designed so that you feel like bad luck happens. And you work with it rather than just being shut down by bad luck. There are some expansions to this game that I hear very good things about that might help, but I'm just trying to decide whether I want to keep chasing that particular dragon. Uh, <laughs> you know, if I get this expansion, will it fix the game for me? It's it's not a bad game at all. It just feels like an old game versus one that's kind of had the opportunity to integrate more modern game design theory so that it's more fun even when you're not doing everything you're trying to do the first time. For example, with Arkham Horror, they've released Eldritch Horror as a sort of pseudo-sequel, and a lot of people say this has replaced Arkham Horror for them, And the reason why is that they've gone through and taken all of the things we've learned about how games should be made since Arkham Horror was introduced, I don't know, 15 years ago or something, I can't remember. And it just makes for a more streamlined, much more fun game, telling the same sort of stories, and you're still rolling dice, but you just don't feel like you're either doing really well or having okay luck or just being kicked in the teeth over and over again. And I've had Arkham Horror games where that happens, where you just, you draw a bad mythos card, so your whole turn is now less fun than it was a minute ago, and you roll poorly, so you've just wasted a turn and probably lost some stuff, and you feel miserable about that. I've had Arkham Horror games where it's a lot of fun, and it really varies. The nice thing about Elder Sign is that it's much shorter. If you have a rotten game... At least it's not going on forever. Like, a rotten game of Orkham Horror will go on for hours.
1: So, basically what you're saying is that it's kind of like playing a game against you. (laughs) You just keep getting shut down. Anyway, I'm mostly teasing.
0: I don't know how to Um, respond to that.
1: Well, I enjoyed Elder Sign, but I agree that it likes to kick you in the teeth. And co-op games often like to kick you in the teeth. They're, They're meant to be hard but it was a less fun form of getting kicked in the teeth than some <sighs> others. And I, I felt like that was, the, the shortness did mitigate it, whereas, you know, like Matthew said, a game of Elder Sign that that starts going, going in that direction.
0: Arkham Horror. I mean. Arkham
1: Horror that starts going in that direction. If you stick with it, you're sitting there being miserable for hours. But at the same time, it usually doesn't stay like that in Arkham Horror. You you eventually turn it around, you draw a better mythos card, you, you regroup, you get a, a good, you know, ally somewhere or something, and things turn around. And with Elder Sign, you do do that, too. The rounds are shorter, and, you know, it's happening in a museum yeah. instead of in a whole city with a board the size of a very large table and only, what, one or two decks of cards instead of, like, eight decks of cards.
0: She's not exaggerating. Yeah. There really are, like, eight decks of cards, and most of them are those tiny cards that Fantasy Flight loves, and I hate Bringing up the co-op aspect is a really good point in that most co-op games, you guys can strategize together. There's really not that much room for assisting each other or or coming up with strategies in this game because so much of it is... Did you roll with what you needed? Yes? Cool. No? We lose that portion. Whereas, if you look at the only other co op dice game I have, Pandemic the Cure, which is really good, you roll the dice and that's what you have to work with rather than a decider over whether you succeeded or failed. And I think that's a very important shift. Using the randomness to spice things up and give you limitations over what you have. Versus just deciding whether or not you succeed, regardless of how smart you were. Anyway, <laughs> I've already talked about this a lot longer than I thought I was going to.
1: So uh, we we also have, have played some other games uh, recently. Uh, just a week or two ago, we played Orleans with Matthew's parents. We've played it before. It's a game where it's a tile choosing game in which every turn you have a chance to pick up a, a worker in the form of a little round tile and then you have a board in front of you where you put your workers to work to get more tiles, to get other things, to get resources, to move along tracks, all in the service of running the best medieval town. It's, it's definitely a competitive game and there are several strategies for playing it that can be competitive and so it's it's kind of a nice one to sink your teeth into. Like Matthew was saying, you have limitations because every turn you reach into your opaque bag and pull out a certain number of tiles and maybe you drew what you wanted and maybe you didn't. you have something to work with rather than, oh, I didn't draw a monk that means I'm totally screwed.
0: It's part of an emerging subgenre known as bag building games and it's basically, A hybrid of a worker placement game and a deck building game but instead of building a deck of cards over the course of the game and then drawing from that deck of cards you're picking up workers which are all different prints on identical sized discs throwing them into a bag and then pulling out whatever workers you have to work with that turn out of the bag and you can increase the number you draw from the bag. You can send ones you no longer want to be in the bag out to complete various errands so that you can try and optimize that bag to suit your strategy. However, because picking up new workers also advances you on various tracks associated with that type of worker, you'll also find yourself taking workers that you don't necessarily want to advance a track that you need. For example, this last game I ended up with too many knights. I think that's why they had the Crusades. (laughs) Advancing the knight track increases the number of discs that you get to pull from your baggage turn, so that's really powerful. But the knights are only really used for moving around on the map because Orleans has a little bit of an area control aspect to it and moving around a map as well. So there's a whole bunch of different genres of game mashed up into orleans and i really love it this is one of my favorite games
1: well the main drawback is that uh in whatever group you're playing with if one of them is matthew there's a pretty good chance he's going to win because he loves this game so much and it meshes so well with the way that he thinks and so his brain is just totally in sync with how to kick everyone's butt at this game this is also true if his mother is involved hi you're awesome
0: <laughs> you keep this up and nobody's ever going to want to play with a game with me ever you co-op make...
1: games we'll play co-op games <laughs> with you. you
0: make it sound like i win every time i didn't win that game of orleans
1: no your mom did
0: see i don't win every time
1: oh well and i i play lots of games with you and even when i don't win i usually still have fun it does sort of influence the kind of game I tend to like to play with you. You know, ones that are fun, even if I lose. <laughs> and co-op games. I really like playing co-op games with you because <laughs> you help me win. You know, games are sometimes about, sometimes they're about having fun, and they're always about having fun. Sometimes they're also about winning.
0: Okay. So, I'm um, trying to think. Anything else that we should talk about with Concordia? Um, um,
1: you mean with Orleans? Orleans. Before we move on to Concordia.
0: Yeah. There are a whole bunch of different strategies you can employ, as with any other good Euro game. It's beautiful. I love the art, which is drawn to look like medieval stained glass windows.
1: Or like... Uh, illuminated, illuminated manuscripts. manuscripts. Yeah.
0: Before they kind of figured out how, how perspective worked and that sort of thing, it's 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 a beautiful game. I really really like it and recommend it. Although I'm not a fan of the the lure bags, they're a little creepy.
1: They're they're you know the whole game has this very sort of medieval feel. A lot of the colors are very muted. It's it's all kind of got this lovely sort of unified feel. And then everybody has a color, you know, and you you're, there's the red and the blue and the green. And the pieces, there's several sort of trackers in addition to the tiles. They're fairly bright colors, but they're painted wood, so they kind of go with the rest of it. And then you have color-coordinated bags for your discs, and they are absolutely neon. Red, yellow, green, and blue. They're not, not in keeping with the rest of the color scheme.
0: I know you're looking for additional... Sewing projects to add to your list of about three billion. Oh my gosh. Um, but that might be an interesting way to bling out the game and make custom bags that aren't hideous. The other game we were going to talk about is called Concordia. From the outside, it looks like the most boring game in the world. The box art is notorious, it's infamous for how boring it is. The box is an old school kind of flat but way too wide and tall box that you would see from old Euro-style games.
1: It looks like a kind of box that that Monopoly or Clue would come in, only huge. Kind of that same wide and shallow proportion, only with a modern game inside, so it's really, really big.
0: Anyway, everything about the outside of this game screams, Mm -hmm. I'm going to eat up about eight hours of your life and you're going to hate every minute of it. But it's not that way at all. Trust us. It's really good.
1: Concordia is a area control game uh, with trading and a kind of an interesting scoring component. The basic sort of mechanic is that you are moving your people. There's a little boat for moving around on the ocean and a little person for moving around on the land. There's a two-sided map that comes with the base game, and then there are several more maps that you can get if you want that are all sort of the Roman Empire and or various pieces of it. There's one that's just Italy, there's one that's the East, there's one that's the West, etc. And so you're moving your colonists around and building trading posts. And depending on the various regions where you're building your trading posts, you are able to use those trading posts to produce resources. And there are, and then of course you need resources to build more trading posts and there are various other ways to get resources and you're trying to exert control over different regions and that kind of thing. And the actions that you can take are contained in a deck of cards. Everybody has this starts with the same deck and There's the one that lets you get resources and one that lets you sell resources and one that lets you build trading posts. And then there are a bunch more cards that can be bought with money, resources, etc. across one side of the game board. And they let you do other things or more of the same things. Each card, both in your hand and on uh, on the board is associated with a Roman god, Jupiter and Mars and everything. And then at the end of the game, scoring is determined by, you know, resources count and regions you control count and how many trading posts you have, you know, cities you have count. But it's all put in terms of for every Mars card you have, you get this many points from this and this many points as you have these. And then for every Jupiter card you have, you have, you get a point for each of that and this other thing. You can tell that I haven't played this game in a little while because I don't remember exactly what these things correlate to, but it's a lot of fun.
0: The game is pretty easy to teach in a lot of ways too because each turn you literally play one card and do what it says. Unlike most deck builders, you're not drawing randomly from a deck and working with what you've put in that deck. Until you play them, you have all the cards in your deck at your disposal. And once you play them, you can't play them again until you play a specific card called the Tribune to bring them back into your hand. So it's a question of, do I want to play this card now, waste a turn playing the Tribune in order to bring the cards I've already played back into my hand so I can start using them again. Between adding cards to your deck to allow you to do things to further your strategy, and the fact that the cards that you've added will dictate your final scoring, molding your deck to suit what you're doing plays a big role. The last game I played, I actually spent most of my resources at the very beginning of the game picking up a couple of cards that I thought would really help me with the endgame scoring, but that meant I completely stalled out my economy for the first several turns and had to scramble to come back from behind for the rest of the game. But because I knew I had those scoring cards from the very beginning of the game, I could tailor my whole strategy to try and get the most points from those cards. I had to, because I'd spent so much to get them. This past game was the first game I got to play using the Concordia Salsa expansion, which adds an additional resource to the game, salt, which has no monetary value while you're trading it, but can be used for construction purposes or purchasing purposes as a wild resource, which is really neat. And it also adds this other board called the forum where special abilities and one-time bonuses are laid out And your ability to choose from and take those is based on how many cards you've played before you play that reset tribute card. So it gives even more importance to deciding when to reset your deck. And the special abilities are really neat, depending on which ones you get. I actually didn't end up using any of the ones I picked up in that game, but my father got one in his first turn that he used throughout the entire game and was a great boon to him. So I guess that's just the luck of the draw.
1: And who won that game?
0: It was only two points. I only won by two points. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I haven't played with the Salsa expansion yet. So, you know, he was playing with his dad. So I I can't comment on that specifically. But I've played several games of Concordia, which probably says something in and of itself, considering how we, we always seem to feel obligated to try and learn a new game instead of playing a game we already know unless we really enjoy it. Good game, lousy box.
0: Yeah, don't let the box scare you away, I promise. There's a really good game in there. So, shall we talk about what we're interested in checking out next? Sure. So
1: we we sort of half started playing one called Fields of An- Legends of Andor, that's what it's called right behind you so i can't see it sorry um it's a cooperative game in which you can play two two to four players i think
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and it scales a little bit but it's got a bunch of different scenarios and apparently there will be more scenarios in which you're the heroes of the realm of andor and there are assorted enemies trying to defeat the kingdom of andor and then the First scenario you're starting out, there's a little bit of sort of slowly introducing mechanics and slowly introducing different kinds of things that you do in different bad guys and everything. How you know, how does combat work? How does how does getting resources and defeating bad guys and all that stuff work? And then you have to do this sort of courier mission in which you have to get across the board without at any point. The person who's carrying the the hot potato, the secret plans or whatever it is, has to get across without at any point sharing a space with an enemy. And you can drop it and pick it up. You can pass it back and forth. And we didn't actually play that far. We just got as far as the uh, figuring out all the mechanics and seeing how that that was going to play out. So we're really looking forward to actually sitting down and, and playing a whole game of it.
0: What makes Legends of Andor really unusual, to hear Diana's description, you'd think it was somewhat like a dungeon crawling, like, okay, well, it's easy, we just, we have one person carry this MacGuffin, and everybody else will kill the monsters around them, and create a path, and they'll just go right through, that's not bad, it's the first mission of the game, that should be pretty easy. The key with Legends of Andor is that you have a time limit, okay, that's not a big deal, you can figure that out too. Every time you kill a monster, you advance the time limit. You can only strategically take out monsters, and in fact, unless you're carrying the MacGuffin in this particular scenario, the monsters won't attack you. If they get by you and get to the castle, you lose. And if they catch the person with the letter or whatever it is, you lose. But you can't just wipe them all out, because then you run out of time and you lose. So it's figuring out how to surgically strike the monsters to clear a path, and when to stash the letter somewhere so the monsters can go past, and so on. So I think it's going to be really interesting. And now this hurts replayability a little bit, but each scenario is a story, and as you advance through the time limit at specific points, additional aspects of the story are unlocked. So it has that sort of pandemic legacy feel of a developing situation. You've got this, you're just about to get it under control, and then something else happens. So it shifts, the the kind of goal shifts under you as you're attempting to accomplish it. Really interesting.
1: Except unlike pandemic legacy, if you totally fail, you can just start that scenario over again from the beginning without having to take permanent negative consequences to your team for the rest of the story.
0: Nobody was using South America anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a little bit of problem with the yellow disease in uh, in Pandemic Legacy.
0: We're sorry, Julie.
1: Anyway, there was another game that you were looking forward to playing.
0: Yes, I'm interested in checking out Francis Drake, which is a game about privateering, and it has two parts, one part, is moving through the the streets of Plymouth down to the harbor to get on your ship. And while you're going, you have to stop at various places along the route to collect equipment, crew, that sort of thing, to prepare your ship for the voyage. The key conceit of the game is that you can't backtrack down the street. So everybody is moving their pawns down this street as you would a normal worker placement game. I'm going to go here and get this stuff so that I can go here and get this stuff. But if somebody's already there, I can't go there so I need to go somewhere else. Except you can't backtrack. So all of the places you're placing your workers are laid in a line and you have to decide whether you're going to make two stops early on the street to get these things or you're going to run down the street to a different stop That you're worried somebody's going to block you from taking later. So I'm really curious to see how that works out. And then the rest of the game is sailing out to pillage various ruins or attack various ships based on what you have. I haven't read enough of the rules at this point to really see how that works. So I'm curious about how all the pieces are going to come together. This is supposed to be a really cool game, but haven't played it yet.
1: I've barely even looked at it, so Matthew knows more about it than I do at this point. But it, it sounds like fun, and I'm looking forward to playing it too. There's a rather wiggly puppy on my lap right now.
0: Yeah, he's getting pretty restless. He was asleep for a while now. He has gone from snooze mode to wiggle mode. So we should probably call it a night. Thank you very much for listening. Please feel free to reach out to us at Dice and Andy. Dachshunds at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you Uh, let us know what sort of themed shows you'd like to hear any games you're curious if we know anything about sorts of situations you'd like game recommendations for say hi we had uh, a nice listener send us a picture of her dog buddy which was very sweet yeah we'd love to hear from you And thank you to everybody who's listened so far. We're closing in on uh, 200 downloads of our six soon-to-be-seven episodes, which I know is infinitesimal in the grand scheme of things when it comes to podcasting, but it's a lot for us, so thank you very much. Good night. Good night.